Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew, check it. Dog events are happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, <laughs> ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have one of my very favorite of all time podcast guests, Dr. Marty Greer. Our veterinary voice is joining us, and we are going to do kind of a fun episode. This was by multiple listener requests, I might add. We're doing sort of the old wives' tales, a little bit of myth busting on veterinary medicine. And Marty's going to weigh in with us about whether we think this is truth or fiction. We've got some topics that we're going to talk about. One of the first ones that was brought up that was a listener request was talking about when we have bitches in our household, multiple, do they tend to cycle together in their heat cycle? So that's a pretty common old wives tale. Everybody says, all my bitches come in together, talk to us. And I think it's true. I really do believe that that happens. There's hormones, there's pheromones. It's called convent syndrome or dormitory syndrome in humans. And absolutely, it happens in dogs too. 
I lived in a dorm when I was an undergrad for four years. Yes, it is true that the girls all start to cycle together. So God help you. Of course, I went to school so long ago that there were women's dorms and men's dorms. Yes, yes, me too. And they locked the women's dorms at night, which kind of cracked us up because it's like they locked us in. They should have really locked the guys out. You know, that was really the problem. But anyway, yes, there's no question about them cycling together. And there's a reason for that. You know, they go back to wolves and it was thought that wolves would cycle together so that there would be additional mothers available to lactate should puppies be orphaned or otherwise the bitch wasn't available to nurse her puppies. And that's also why people think there's a false pregnancy. Every dog that has a heat cycle has a false pregnancy. Every single one. They all have a progesterone rise. They all stay high for 60 to 65 days. And they all drop their progesterone at around that 60 to 65 day mark, pregnant or not. Some bitches will lactate. Some bitches will have clinical signs of false pregnancy. But they all do that if they've got a normal ovulatory cycle. So for the people that think their dogs don't have false pregnancies, oh, yes. Yes, they do. And I've even seen one dog go into labor. And I said to the owner, no, there are no puppies. And she went as far as saying, please take an x-ray. And I, of course, complied because I didn't want to miss a single puppy on palpation. But yes, we do see bitches that will do that. So yes, they cycle together. Yes, they all come into heat at the same time. And yes, they start excreting or secreting a pheromone weeks before they come into heat so that they can start recruiting male dogs so that they are available at the time that the bitch is ready to breed. So absolutely, positively, yes, there's an efficiency to that system. So we were talking about boy dogs. And I mentioned to you before we started recording, (laughs) I have a bitch in season and three males, four males, two of which are experienced stud dogs, and they are losing their crackers. I mean... It's a good thing I have a soundproofed studio because they're out there screaming and the bitches inside in her crate, they can't see or smell or anything. Talk to us about A, how do we as owners, what's some good ideas for managing that? And B, let's go through the whole concept of this is why boys do this. And the best way to manage it is going to be drugs. I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) And I don't mean just for you. I mean for the dogs. Yeah, lots of drugs for me. (laughs) (laughs) I can't prescribe for the owners, but I can prescribe for the dogs. And so, yes, there's no reason not to put a male dog on some kind of an anti-anxiety medication, whether it's trazodone or gabapentin or alprazolam or something to calm them down. Acepromazine is not an anti-anxiety drug. It's a sedation drug. And yeah, in this case, it probably wouldn't be a terrible idea. But overall, Acepromazine should not be used for anti-anxiety medication. There are lots of good drugs on the market. Your veterinarian can prescribe them for you. They are mostly not controlled substances. And yes, they can help considerably in making you a lot more sane, but it will not take away the sex drive. It is not birth control. So don't think that putting your dog on a drug that's going to make him a little bit drowsy is going to keep him from busting through the fence or through the door and up the stairs and around the corner and snatching her up and having his way with her because those boys are highly motivated. The drive to have a sexual encounter is a very, very strong drive in every species. And we all know that and you can't prevent it. We've got pictures of dogs that know how to unlatch their kennel door, walk across the top of a kennel, drop down into the female's pen, 
breed the female and then walk back out and get back into their own kennel. We have proof that these dogs are doing this because we now have video in people's kennels. So it's a fascinating study in canine behavior. But yes, the boys do have a pretty strong drive and the females are very cooperative at that point in most cases. It takes two to tango. So yes, you can use drugs. Keeping them separated physically is useful, but there is nothing that you can do that they can't undo faster because they are spending 23 hours and 49 minutes a day trying to figure out a way to get that particular encounter to happen. And you spent 11 minutes that day figuring out a way for it not to happen. They're going to win. They're going to win. The stories I could tell you, I had an Akita, it was a client dog. It wasn't even a client. It was like a, anyway, bitch in season, dog's losing his mind. I'm like, okay, fine. So it was appropriate weather. So I said, I'm just going to put him in a crate in the van. This is my sturdiest crate. I know he can't smell anything. He's not going to, you know, oh yeah, shredded this crate. It looked like a bloodbath. I mean, there was blood everywhere where he had shredded the crate getting out of it. And this is just one of 40 years worth of this, right? Oh, yeah. So drugs are good. Now, here's another. This is a good myth-busting one. Thoughts on chlorophyll. Give the bitch chlorophyll when she comes in season immediately and then reduces the whatever odor. No? Yes? It's going to help to a small extent. It's not going to be enough to cover up everything. No. Charcoal, chlorophyll, vanilla, Vicks, you name it, all the things that people try. Yes, you can put vanilla on the bitch. Yes, you can put Vicks up his nostrils, but you are not going to overcome every single molecule. Remember, dogs have probably 10,000 times the number of scent cells. And inside their nose, they have scrolls of bone that have all this ability to scent and their downright ears will help direct the scent. Oh, yeah. They were programmed to be successful, and they frequently are in spite of your best efforts. So anybody that tells you that they've never had an accidental breeding that owns both males and females that are intact at their house is either lying to you or it hasn't happened to them yet. Because at some point... I was one of those people, and the 13-year-old Ibethan hound that's out there, we call him the unindicted felon Mm -hmm. because... He managed it after 40 years, a few years back. He got one of the wire hair pointers. Yep. I was at a meeting that was put on by one of the pet food companies, and I was one of the speakers on the program, and another speaker was up talking about his research kennel of dogs, and he walked in one morning and found two dogs tied through a chain link fence, which I still can't understand physically how... I was going to ask you if that was like an old wives tale or that's actually happened. It's a thing. He walked in and no kidding, there was a tie through the chain link. So that just it blows my mind. It it would require a lot of alignment to get everything to work well and a lot of cooperation. But And so that can happen. And I've got two dogs out here trying to get a natural breeding and they can't manage it. Oh, Oh, man. I gave you a rug. I damn near gave you a cigarette. Come on. What are we doing here? I know. I know. Yeah. Well, you know, some of it's body type, some of it's skill set. Body type is not good on corgis. They're not quite as bad as bulldogs, but they're not real skilled. But after a couple of efforts, the boys figure out the whole thing. And it is absolutely true that 
there is a certain learning curve that goes with this. We have male dogs that come into the practice to be collected for semen freezing or semen processing. And some of them have been told, especially the pet dogs, have been told no, 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 no by their owners a million and a half times to the point that they won't develop an erection in front of that particular person because they've been told no. And so sometimes they have to make two or three trips back to the practice so that they can learn that having a sexual encounter is indeed an acceptable behavior for them, but it does require some practice. And so with a little bit of experience and occasionally some pharmaceutical intervention, we can get these guys to eventually figure it out. Now, if it's an old male dog, it may be orthopedic issue. He may have arthritis or spondylosis in his back or something, but Yes, there is no question that it does require some practice for some dogs and other dogs seem to be natural at it, shall we say. Gifted. Let's go with gifted. Gifted. (laughs) (laughs) Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Looking to enhance your breeding program? Spring into action with Embark's all-inclusive DNA testing for breeders. One Embark for Breeders kit provides breed-relevant genetic health tests, physical traits, and genetic COI test results for each of your dogs. Embark's test results are accepted by the Orthopedic Foundation for Animals for all conditions where OFA has an established DNA registry. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to help manage their breeding program, from improving genetic health and diversity to screening for disease mutations, understanding traits, and a lot more. To save on better health, visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Okay, so now let's get to another old wives tale that I have had, and I know you are rolling your eyes at me, but I swear I have more than one old time breeder who absolutely swears that they can impact the sex of the puppies by when they mate the dogs and that you breed early for girls and you breed late, you get boys. Any, anything on that one. It really depends on what you have taken deposits for or what your people want. (laughs) And you'll guarantee to have the opposite. And if you have a singleton, it's it's always a male. It's always a boy. And you really wanted a bitch to continue your breeding program because we all know bitches are the strength of a breeding program, not the boys. So there's a jillion boys out there in your breed. There are a dime a dozen. You don't need another one. And so what do you have in your singleton litter? You have a boy. And then of course he doesn't have either testicle. So, you know, or he's mismarked. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Something not right about it, but no, to my knowledge, there isn't a correlation. We are just hopeful that we get puppies when we're doing the breedings that we're doing, because most of the breedings we do are going to be managed breedings for fresh chilled or frozen semen. And so, you know, we just hope that there's a litter. And so when we go to ultrasound the bitch 30 days after she's bred, we go to put her on the table and the owner is staring at me and they're saying, all I want is just, I just want one, just one puppy. That's all I really want is just one puppy. And as soon as you put the probe on, they're like, okay, now I need four black boys and two yellow. And you're like, come on, 10 seconds ago, you just wanted one. And now you're greedy and give me a break. So yes, that is absolutely typical is that you get greedy pretty fast and it's never the right color or the right sex ratio or whatever you've taken deposits on, you're going to get guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed. It's yeah. 
Almost always. Okay, so that's a no. While we're in the genre of dog breeding and false pregnancies and pio, you had one that I thought was really good that females that have pyometra are always going to have a fever. Right. And the problem is they almost never do. Almost every bitch that walks through our practice front door that has a pyometra has a normal temperature. 101 to 102 is normal. They rarely run a fever. If they do run a fever with a pyometra, it probably means that the uterus is already leaking pus either up the oviduct into the abdomen or the uterus is already ruptured into the abdomen. So we rarely see it with a fever. And it's really hard for me to wrap my head around it. And I've been to every possible lecture I can go to about canine reproductive care. And even when I was in France, listening to the speaker over there on Fontbonne, I raised my hand and I said, okay, I heard you just say they never run a fever, but can you explain to me why? And he's like, that's a really great question. Let me answer that for you tomorrow. Well, he never did. And the only thing that I can come up with and other people, because I've asked a lot of people this, is the uterus is a privileged organ. It isolates proteins that aren't part of that particular individual's DNA. And that allows the little puppies to develop and grow and be born as little puppies. And the uterus doesn't say, ooh, you don't belong here and have some kind of an immunologic response that kicks it out. If we had any organ that did that, the uterus would never be successful at producing puppies. So I don't think it matters what species you are. That's kind of the way it is. The other thing that's kind of interesting and a bit of an aside is that the day after pyometra surgery or the day that we're treating pyometras and we start to see the progesterone drop and the pus start to evacuate if it's a medically managed or surgically managed pyometra, those bitches will tend to have a subnormal temperature, maybe 98, 97, just like they would if they were whelping. And my staff is always coming to me saying, um, her temperature is only 97. Should I be concerned about that? And so I look at them and say, okay, so what just happened physiologically to the dog? And so we go through the whole thing of her progesterone dropped, whether we took out her ovaries surgically or whether we gave her a drug to drop her progesterone to allow her uterus to evacuate. And now that it's dropped, isn't that similar to exactly what the body does when a bitch goes into labor and then it comes back up to normal and they go, oh, yes, yes, that would be the case. So be aware. Jaw dropped. Absolutely fascinating. So I don't worry about a temperature that drops subnormal in that first 24 to 48 hours after medically or surgically managing a pyometra because they didn't come in with a fever unless, like I said, they've already had something leaking out of the uterus. And I have the most amazing video of pus running up the oviduct, Just, out of the no, uterus, and stop, into the abdomen, man, <laughs> around the ovary. And it is really not where you want that to be. Pus in the belly is a very, very bad place. Okay, so there's a reason I'm not a veterinarian. You just, <laughs> that's pus. Pus is it. I just nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, you can't see my face. It's green and sort of white, and I'm like retching in the back of my throat. I, it's terrible. There it is. My dirty little secret is I have an incredibly weak stomach and just the word makes me gag a little bit. So there you go. I think that it's really fascinating how many of these old wives tales we have, these myths that we have around our dogs that are, maybe there's a grain of truth or maybe it's just sort of anecdotally, but there's no science to back them up, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately, that's true, but I think it's true in a lot of different aspects. I think it's true on human medicine. I think it's true in a lot of things. So we just have to dispel some of those myths 
and work through them so that people have a better understanding of what really happens and how they can best help their veterinary team to provide great care for their dogs and cats. Absolutely. All right. Yep. Well, Marty, as always, you are a joy and a treasure to my Sunday mornings at least once a month. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I could lighten your day a little bit. (laughs) Just don't ever say that word to me again. (laughs) You're no fun at all. I know. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Blood I can deal with. That P word? No, can't do that. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Marty. Thank you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.